Hi folks, Luke here with another podcast. This one's going to be solo again. And today I am going to talk about how to track your progress. And I suppose I'll get into a little bit how, you know, to stop being too focused on certain ways of tracking progress as well. And to avoid that, I suppose, emotional feeling around the scale. Uh, Now, the reason I wanted to talk about this is because I generally work with people who have some kind of emotional shackling to the scale, so to speak. They really feel that the scale is not their friend. But of course, it's something that people are very hyper-focused on for good reason, I suppose. Uh, It's an easy way to track your progress and all the media and that sort of stuff is very hyper-focused on the scale. But there's a lot of different ways to track your progress. Uh, I certainly think that the scale is a good thing to use. It's a good tool. Now, I recently wrote an email on this and basically the the idea of the email was that we don't want to necessarily vilify the scale or completely exclude it from our measurements. But fundamentally, most people describe their goal weight or have a concept of how much they want to weigh. And that's not really what we're after. What we're after is a particular look or feeling, right? We want to be strong. We want to be able to fit into a dress. We want to look jacked, whatever it is. And that number is really arbitrary to that. If I achieved, you know, the look I wanted, I looked like a superhero or something like that at 90 kilos versus 100 kilos versus 70 kilos, it fundamentally doesn't really matter. But that's not to say that scale weight doesn't matter at all because it is partly a reflection of our progress, of course. So it's one of these things where at the same time as we don't want to get too shackled to the scale, to use that terminology, we also don't want to ignore it and throw it by the wayside and say it doesn't matter at all because it's a useful tool. But the way it has to be used is in a particular way. So I guess I'll talk a little bit about using the scale itself to start with, and then I want to explore further some other ways that we can use to track our progress from generally a physique standpoint or something like that. So to start with using the scale. Now, one of the issues with the scale is that it is something that can be pretty variable day by day. Your water weight changes quite a lot in the body. So there are different compartments that we store water in and it accompanies a lot of different processes in the body. So for example, general sort of local inflammation can cause more water retention in an area. So you might train your legs really hard, cause some muscle damage, and part of the immune system response to that is that there's a little bit of swelling that's going to occur and a bit more water hanging around that area. So in that case, you might see a jump on the scale, and that doesn't mean that you've suddenly gained body fat overnight. It just means that you're holding on to a bit more water weight. Similarly, if you change your habitual sodium intake, maybe you eat a meal out or you have some kind of a meal like, I don't know, sushi or something where you are using some soy sauce, you cook a new recipe, something like that. You can hold on to a bit more water that way because the sodium requires that your body maintains a certain amount of water to dilute that sodium with that the the sodium is uh, mixed into, dissolved in. So that's going to change your water weight as well. Of course, there's also the menstrual cycle to think about as we progress through the 
when I say we, <laughs> as you progress through the, uh, the menstrual cycle, of course, you're going to get some changes into how much water retention there is. And this could skew your results as well. So there's all of these little events that can cause a little bit more water weight. And why is this relevant? It's because if you don't weigh yourself often enough, what can happen is that you might catch yourself on a day where you're additional water weight is particularly low or particularly high and that's not going to give you a true reflection of your results or your progress so imagine on a monday you decide to weigh yourself but you've eaten some foods that are not usual in your food rotation over the weekend maybe you ate out or something you had a little bit more sodium well, unfortunately, you might get a really high weigh-in on a Monday. It might be shocking. It might scare you. You might think, oh, God, I hate this scale. But it might not be a true reflection of your progress. If you had weighed yourself on Wednesday, it could be that that water weight has now settled and you're really sort of at a truer reflection of what your weight really is. By the same token, you may just happen to have a particularly good weigh-in day. You might get a particularly low weigh-in that's not reflective of your sort of average weight throughout the week. So in this case, I think it's pretty important to take multiple measurements under, you know, reasonably same conditions. I think the easiest way to do it is just to wake up and go to the bathroom and then weigh yourself because that's a, that's a very controlled condition. This means sometimes that people get a bit scared because they, they hate that feeling of getting on the scale and they feel that being exposed to that constantly is not a good thing. In my experience, I've found that weighing more frequently can actually take the power away from the scale. It's almost like exposure therapy in a way, I guess. But it's also one of those things where if you start to understand the averages, then you start to become more curious about the daily weigh-in rather than terrified of it. So you're viewing it as a daily collection of data that's going to help you make your decisions moving forward rather than, well, this is the, the giant weekly event where we get to see whether I've been a good boy or girl and have this weird sort of guilt and, and anticipation attached to it. If it becomes a more daily mundane thing where it's just data collection, then it takes a lot of the power away from the scale and it actually gives you more accurate results because you can then take a weekly average. And so I guess this is what I've been building to is just that a weekly average with your scale weight is going to work much, much better than taking it, you know, once or twice a week, three times a week and being too hyper-focused on the individual numbers. Now, as a coach, I still look at weekly trends and that sort of stuff, but we're most worried about the weekly average as we move forward with the scales. So the scales have this sort of con attached to them where they do have an emotional response from people. They aren't gonna tell you how much muscle you've got, how much fat you've got. They're very susceptible to changes in water weight. But the major pro that weighing yourself has is firstly that it's non-invasive. Secondly, it's very quick and easy to do. Thirdly, uh, because of those factors, it makes it easy for us to collect on a daily basis, meaning we can get a weekly average, which actually gives us some pretty good information to make our decisions from. But I did mention that I don't use scales exclusively, and I wrote an email about how there might be some other methods that also help. Now, in my email, what I mentioned was that because the scales don't necessarily align with what your goal is, which might be to look good or to fit into a dress or something like that. There are some other measurements we can take. And the first thing that springs to mind for me is to use something like a circumference measurement. 
you know, if your goal is to fit a pair of pants or, a, or your wedding dress or something like that, then the easiest way to do that is to use that measurement, use the wedding dress or the pants. But in, in lieu of that, what you can do is, of course, take some, some girth measurements or some circumferences using a tape measure. Now, that's going to give you a little bit more granularity and it's going to be a bit more appropriate to your goal. But at the same time, this is also another number, another objective measurement that is not necessarily reflective of a look, for example. So it correlates pretty well, right? If your waist measurement is going down, then we can probably surmise that your appearance is getting closer to what you want it to be, but it also isn't actually your appearance. So what I proposed in my email and what I use with my clients is both an objective measurement or multiple objective measurements, because I do think the more data you gather, generally speaking, the better, and a subjective measurement. Now, the subjective measurement is pretty obvious. It's how you look in the mirror or how you look in a photo more precisely because uh, you, you want to have some kind of record, right? So if we can combine the objective measurements with the subjective measurements, we kind of get the best of both worlds. The, obviously, the pros and cons still exist. So a picture will not tell you, it won't give you any hard evidence of what direction you're trending necessarily it's obviously subject to things like lighting and and you may look particularly soft uh, on a particular day because you're carrying a bit more water you know some of those same factors that will affect your scale weight will also affect your appearance of course and so it's not perfect but if we can combine that with the scale weight or circumferences and even some other stuff then it starts to fill in all of the pictures uh, where we all of the places, I should say, where the scales fail, where an objective measurement fails, uh, because it is much more married to the actual outcome that we're looking for. So I really like this objective subjective sort of way of doing things. Now, what other subjective measurements can you use? Well, for my clients, because we're really focused on well-being and happiness and stuff as well, and we know that those can have a physiological effect on how much you weigh and how you look and how well you're training and all that sort of stuff. I tend to work with things like mood and energy and basically how well you think you're going. It might be mental health days as well as one of the examples I used in my email. So to give that mental health example, what we could do, and I got this idea out of uh, a study that whose name I can't quite remember right now. You can mark your mental health as a green day maybe a, a yellow or orange day, and then a red day, depending on how your day went. And you simply mark that on a calendar. And I like this approach because it's obviously subjective. It is something where if you've got a color code, it can very easily give you a lot of feedback if you glance back over a week or a month. It's also very low friction. You know, there's, there's no stepping onto a scale or having to do a body fat test or anything like that. It's something that's pretty quick and easy to do. And this mental health calendar can give us some kind of subjective feedback on how you're going. And we can use that in conjunction. We might see that your mental health uh, tends to, uh, is improving along the same time that your weight is going down at the same time that your lifts are going up. And that's obviously a, a fantastic uh, trio. That's, that's really a great general trend that we're getting from all of your measurements. So that's something subjective that I find pretty helpful. Some other objective measurements you can use, of course, are things like hours of sleep, uh, the number of steps that you've taken, 
that kind of thing as well. Uh, something that a lot of people like to do too is obviously to measure things like their body fat percentage. And so I did want to dedicate a part of this podcast at least to talking a bit more about measuring body fat percentage. And, you know, there's pros and cons to everything. Uh, like I mentioned, there's pros and cons to taking pictures. There's pros and cons to weighing yourself. And there's definitely pros and cons to measuring body fat percentage. And since this always comes up, I'm going to sort of dive in a little bit. Now, there's stuff that we have to think about with each method of measuring body composition. No technique is 100% accurate. So we have to consider each of these things. The first thing that you have to consider is that every method of measuring body fat percentage has a margin of error. So there's an inherent margin of error and small changes are really difficult to detect when you're measuring body fat percentage. So for example, if I go get a DEXA scan and there's a margin of error of say 3%, which I think is probably generous even for a DEXA scan, which is considered the gold standard, right? But there's actually a decent margin of error. If I say there's a 3% margin of error, you might actually be 15% body fat, let's say, but the DEXA scan could tell you that you're anywhere between 12 and 18%. So it's a plus or minus 3%. Now that's a really, really big difference, right? You might measure uh, 12% one day and then you go in a week later and you measure 18% another day, even though your body fat percentage is the same. And the problem with this is that it is then not sensitive enough to detect small changes. So your DEXA scans only gonna really be helpful if you're taking it on a sort of longer time interval meaning that there's a larger change that it can it can detect so you know taking it every month is going to give you a better picture than taking it every week which is kind of the opposite of what scale weight is used for right on scale weight we want to take it more often if anything so that's one of the downsides of measuring body fat percentage with a lot of these methods that i'll mention is the margin of error small changes are difficult to detect if you have this inherent margin of error the second major thing that's going to affect most of these measurements is that hydration is really going to affect how much lean mass and how much body fat shows up. So hydration can acutely affect your lean mass. And the way that works is that we store water in glycogen in our muscles. So glycogen is our stored form of carbohydrate in the body. It's stored in muscle and in liver and a little bit in some other organs as well. And it drags some water with it when it gets stored. And so the level of glycogen in your body, so how much carbohydrates have you eaten, how much water have you taken in, will show up as lean mass on a scale or on a measurement, sorry. And so that means that sometimes you might say, oh, look, I gained a kilo of lean mass. That must be muscle, but it might not necessarily be muscle. And if you're measuring at a higher lean mass, it's going to affect your body fat percentage because, of course, it's a percentage. It's calculated on how much fat mass do you have compared to how much lean mass. So hydration can really affect that. And a lot of methods also use electrical impedance. So electrical impedance is basically just where they send an electrical current through your body and it measures the amount of resistance and that will be different depending on how much body fat you have. And so they just use a formula to work out, okay, well, there was this amount of impedance uh, to the electrical current and therefore this percentage of body fat must be present. And so if you have a different level of hydration, of course, that affects how the electricity, the electrical current will flow through the body. And so that can affect your measurement as well. So hydration is quite variable and that can really affect how some of these methods work. The next thing you need to consider really is logistics. Like some methods are just super inconvenient. Some are super costly. Others are much easier to perform regularly. And obviously that's a major advantage of weighing yourself on scales. 
some of the electrical impedance methods are also pretty convenient. And so while they might not be as accurate as like a DEXA scan or something like that, the big advantage that they have is that they are much cheaper and they're much easier to do. And a lot of gyms have these electrical impedance methods available for you to use. So I'm gonna talk through a couple of these things, but you also have to remember as we go through that multiple data points are always better. So combining several different measurements uh, and combining both objective and subjective measurements can be really interesting too, because numbers are helpful to track progress, but they don't define your health or your performance or necessarily your goal. So some of the main methods of measuring body fat percentage are DEXA or hydrostatic weighing. These are kind of put into the same basket because they're often considered the gold standard and you see them a lot in research. Now they're reasonably accurate. As I mentioned, they still have their, their margins of error involved, but the big problem is that they're costly and inconvenient. So at best, you're probably going to be getting a DEXA like maybe once a month, something like that. And that's all it's really useful for. And you need something else to, to track your progress in the meantime as well. So that's a major downside. You don't want to be paying like 50 bucks and having to go into a lab and do that every time under and trying to do it under the same conditions too. The other method that you might see around is called a bod pod. It's reasonably accurate. It's less so than DEXA, but it's also costly and inconvenient by comparison to other methods. So this is still something where you're going to have to go into a lab and pay some money or something like that. Now, skin folds is another method. They're really convenient. They're obviously really cheap. That's something that is a massive pro, a massive, massive plus for the skin folds. But there are a few downsides, and this is why I don't really like skin folds for most people. The first is that it's really dependent on operator skill. You can get vastly different measurements depending on how skilled and experienced the operator is. There are some accuracy issues there because we're going to be, at the end of the day, using some algorithms to calculate what your body fat percentage is and that's going to be based on averages it's not going to reflect your personal situation necessarily and i think one of the really major downsides of this is that it's pretty invasive if you're listen if you're a lean sort of athlete type you probably don't care too much but if you're someone who's a little bit sensitive about their weight it's not that nice to be poked and prodded by somebody uh, stand there in your underwear and get pinched you know so i don't think it's that nice to be perfectly honest now, next we have the, the bioelectrical impedance scales. So these will be either scales that you stand on, it'll be those devices that you hold, or it will be something like the in-body scanner, which a lot of gyms are using at the moment. Now, the pluses of this is that they are convenient, they're cheap, they're non-invasive, very easy to do, very easy to collect multiple measurements throughout a week, for example. But the problem with them is that they're pretty inaccurate. They're really inaccurate based on some of the things I spoke about before. There's a margin of error, there's a massive issue with hydration and, and glycogen and all that sort of stuff. So that's one of the major downsides. And so you, you can't necessarily take that number that you get from that and really feel like it's gonna be accurate. So, you know, for individuals, even the gold standard techniques like DEXA or underwater weighing, the hydrostatic weighing I mentioned, can produce error margins of up to 6%, which is really high. And the other stuff that I mentioned is even less accurate than that with higher margin errors. So, you know, you can see how a single number can't be used to define you. But if we end up having pictures plus, let's say, a, a bioelectrical impedance scale measure plus some scale weight, okay, well, we can piece all of those together for a really good picture of how things are looking now. So I guess the message I want to leave you with or there's probably a couple really. The first is that you can sort of break free of this tyranny of the scales that you might be feeling, this fear of the scales. 
But the way you do that is actually not necessarily by avoiding the scales. In many cases, it might actually be leaning into the scales, but just understanding what it's actually showing you and contextualizing it a little bit better. So taking that multiple measurements throughout the week can reduce the big event of the weigh-in. It can help you to understand the variance of the scales and it can help you to view these numbers with curiosity and a bit less emotional attachment. You can start to use averages. You can start to understand how different meals or that time of the month or different stress levels will affect your scale weight. And that can help to kind of take away some of the power of those measurements. The second thing is to contextualize it. You need to combine it with something else. And as I mentioned, you can use more objective measurements for sure. The more data points you can get, the better, provided it's not getting too inconvenient. But adding something that is subjective as well can be really helpful. And that could be anything from your mental health and mood and personal perception of how much energy you have to, you know, other things as well. So there's definitely stuff that you can you can combine to give you a clearer picture of what's going on. Okay, hopefully that was helpful. Please let me know if it was. And I'd like to ask you if you wouldn't mind please leaving a rating for me. And definitely if you found this episode useful, I'd love if you could share this on social media and tag me so I can say thank you and so other people can see it. It helps me out a lot. Thanks very much, guys. I've got some more interviews coming up or more conversations really coming up in the future. Thanks for listening and I'll chat to you soon.